Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real-life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Fellas, what's going on? Welcome to another episode. I hope today's episode leaves you better than when it found you, and I'm grateful that I can be a part of your journey and honored and humbled that you uh, would allow me to be a part of yours. And today's episode is with Sam Burns. Well, the conversation is about fitness and it's about physical health and working out and exercising, but, but more importantly, the conversation is about the mental health side of it because, frankly, if you don't have a strong body, it's really hard to have a strong mind and vice versa, a strong mind and a strong body. I heard somewhere recently that a weak mind can't live in a strong body and a strong body can't live with a weak mind, that they bring each other together. And I think that's so important for us as men to be able to deal with all of the stuff that's thrown at us on a given day and to be strong enough physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually to be able to withstand those things and to be able to continue and, and on. That's the start. But if we don't have a healthy, strong body, all of that stuff becomes much, much harder, if not impossible. So enough of me, y'all. Let me get out of the way. It's time for us to get into today's interview with Sam Burns. Mr. Sam Burns, welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, man. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's just jump right in. Our first question that we always ask our guests, and to those of you guys who are catching up, this is your first episode. Thanks for being here. We always like to go into your world because I can talk about, tell me about all the people you trained and tell me about all the people you've helped lose weight and tell me all the coaches. Like We go about all the accolades and you've got two podcasts and kids, the whole thing. I see you're managing a whole circus all the time. So it's, we could talk about how you're nailing things, but take me into your world and what's real or what's challenging, what's prescient for you right now? The biggest struggle that I go through is knowing first and then being able to act on second the goals and the aspirations that I have for myself personally and professionally and when all of that needs to take a back seat so that I can support my wife so that I can support my kids and not just saying that but also really shutting off those other places so I can be present that's my hands down biggest struggle yeah, early on and when I was dating my wife initially, I remember I was running a large sales organization and I had phone calls coming in all the time. And I remember her saying, you're not here. Or she said, I miss you. And I'm like, what yeah. are you talking about? We have been together all weekend. We've been together all weekend. How can you miss me? And this realization between being present or being physically present and then being present and having presence. And then when you layer on kids on top of that, it just creates a whole new dynamic because now there's multiple people there. I think you too have multiple kids. It's a huge dynamic and to be present for each and every person. And then also yourself is a unique battle. Yeah, I too have been on the receiving end of comments like that. And God bless my wife, she'll bring it up after the fact. She knows that this is something that's important to me. She knows that I struggle with it. And she'll say, so I noticed you were on your phone a lot when you came upstairs. We have an office here in the basement. When you came upstairs, you were on your phone a lot. And to me, I try to think back and look at what I was doing with my time, and it doesn't seem like a significant percentage of my time, but I'm also fairly myopic when I work, and so it's easy for me to lose time. And not being present for my wife, who I might have been around, but not paying attention to all day, is one thing but my kids are a whole other level. And I don't know if you can relate with this. I remember seeing a thing on Instagram, this young man, entrepreneur, talking about when he comes home with his kids, he said, 
all my kids want is my attention. It's the only thing they want in the whole world is for daddy to pay attention to them. If I accept that as true, literally anything I do that takes away from that is a detriment to potentially my kids. The last thing I want to do, obviously, is feel so insidious and so passive. It's so easy to let it slide. I slip into being distracted when all my kid wants is for me to pay attention. Yeah. It's really hard, too, if you work from home. Yeah. That's something that I recently had to get an office outside of the house because that line became so blurry and it became so hard for me because I, I was on the other end. I don't know if on the other end, I was running a business 16 hours a day in the office, never home, come home to sleep, and then went hard the other way where built an online business and was able to work from home and had this really flexible schedule. It got to the point where I was with the kids and taking care of the kids so much and wanting to be present for them and with them that my business started to slip. My mental health, my own boundaries and my own sense of self started to disappear and it went so far the other way. And now I'm in this recalibration phase. I guess I just say that to say that it is a sticky battle and it's like, there is a line that there seems to be able to walk, right? Because I took the advice, I saw all those videos and was like, your kids are only home for X amount of time and make sure you cherish the time. And so I'm like, oh shit, it's going to disappear. Something missed, something didn't happen because now I'm having to come back the other way and reestablish some boundaries and reestablish my business and realize that, yeah, I did let some of my ambitions and my goals slip in. And so all of that to just color <laughs> the challenge that guys have ahead of them too. I agree entirely. And it sounds like what you're describing, and I've experienced this as well, is as an entrepreneur, by definition, you are interested in creating something and you're interested in aspiring to something and being successful in doing so and not doing so haphazardly, but actually accomplishing something. And yet you know that this time with your kids is valuable and it's so fleeting. And so you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to devote a bunch of time and energy to this and what ends up happening is you sacrifice something that is important to you and something that probably defines who you are. And that's certainly how it felt to me. And in trying to do a good thing for my kids, I did harm to myself. And the hardest part is, and I, I haven't figured this out, I'm still figuring it out. The hardest part has been learning that it will never be one thing or the other. It will always be balance. And that's frustrating because I like things black and white and clear cut and nothing about that is clear cut. Stephen Arms came on a while ago and he talked about these ladders of manhood. And if you guys haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to it. It's a great episode on rites of initiation or initiation things, ceremonies for boys. And, and that sounds a little kind of weird. It's not as weird as that sounds. These rite of passage initiations for boys mm -hmm. to lead them into manhood. Mm -hmm. One of the th concepts he talked about was going up these ladders of manhood. And, and he talks about moving out being one of the first ladders and then having a partner or getting married and then having kids being one. And I feel like each kid that you add on, at least one and two, I've heard that three, it starts to get easier. That slope goes down. But going from one to two is just a total different level of complexity. And ours were 13 months apart. So they were like back to back. We were like in it and in it. It's hard, right? I say all that because like I see guys and I have some friends that are having their first kid and it's how do you prep someone for that? Like you're going to be tested with the opportunity to lose yourself. But also if you blow it the other way, you might miss out on the opportunity to be with your kids or you might be the person who wishes and, and regrets not spending as much time with their kids. That's what's in front of you. Don't fall off either way. It just seems like a really, I've said this again today, twice today, but that guys are not giving it the respect or reverence that a challenge like that deserves. 
it makes me think of, first of all, funny side story. My father-in-law has a saying when it comes to kids and ascending levels of complexity. He says one is one, but two is three. It does feel like that in terms of the ascending level of difficulty. And I also, too, have heard that it gets easier when you start to get to three and beyond because then they can shoulder some of the burden and take care of it. That's not a plan that we have, although I've offered my wife the option to change her mind at any point. One of the things that I'm learning is that my speaking of rights and ascension, my process of becoming a father is not about me reproductively giving birth to a child. It's not about me being present here. It's about the process that I have to undergo to remove as much emotional baggage that I might carry into this as possible so that while this child is growing up, I can be what the child needs. Not that I can impose something on the child and in doing so, create the optimal version of a child or not the optimal version of my replacement or anything like that. But like, and this is exclusive to me, so I won't make any statements about anyone else, but I've had the most success trying to figure out what do I need to address for me so that I can get out of my own way and make myself available so that this kid, as this kid grows and changes and because becomes his own human being, I'm not hindering that process. I think that a lot of times we as potential fathers or new fathers, we know that it's a big deal, but it's not until you get into it that you realize exactly what you've bitten off and the gravity of the situation. And you start to look ahead to the future and your spot, your mind spirals out of control like a fractal. And you're like, oh my God, like, what did I do? And not in a bad way, of course, but you see all of the ways that you could screw it up for lack of a better term. I become acutely aware of that. My wife had a, with our second, both pregnancies were especially difficult, but the second one was especially difficult. And there was a moment where I was home with my son and he's probably about six, seven, eight months old or something. My wife's in the hospital because she spent the last month of her, I guess really what would have been the last two months. My daughter came out a month early. She was in there for pretty early on in her pregnancy. And I'm sitting at home trying to get my son to fall asleep and just bawling everything that's in front of me. Is my wife going to make it out? Is my daughter going to make it out? Am I going to be a single dad? All of these things. What was interesting is thankfully the only thing, and I don't want to make this a religious thing, but thankfully the only thing that my son would fall asleep to was like Christian music. It was so strange because it was the only thing that put him to sleep. But as I'm there searching for these existential answers, like there is some solace at least that's coming over. And so what's interesting is that for the longest time, when I got into business and became an entrepreneur, it was all about growth. Let me add on, let me get better, let me get better, let me grow. And then life tends to happen. And all of a sudden, it's less about growth. And it seems to be more about like healing and more about less about adding on and more about going back and fixing or healing or filling or whatever that is. There's this backwards, inward looking that at least I've been forced into. And I don't know if that's a journey that a lot of kind of guys go through, but it, it seems that you can't read your way out of, you can read a book out of this sort of stuff. Like there, you have to go through it to get through it. I would agree. I think that if you imagine like a Maslow's hierarchy type deal, if you imagine all of the things that make up a self-actualized human being, in this case, a father, as a pyramid, we can get by shoddily assembling some of the foundational components as in our race to ascend upwards. But as life gets more, I remember hearing Tim Kennedy once say, you fall to the level of your training, right? And if as you were ascending upward, you didn't lay a good foundation, then when things get very difficult, you end up falling back through that 
And what you discover is you can't ascend any higher. As a trainer, we talk about this in terms of movement modalities. So if you neglect your fundamental gymnastics and you race ahead to get better at Olympic weightlifting, for example, you're going to reach a ceiling in your Olympic weightlifting that you cannot overcome until you go back and address your bodyweight strength capability. And in doing that, you up your potential for Olympic weightlifting. And in the same way here, there's this ideal that hopefully, I know I have and hopefully other men have for what they want their lives to look like as husbands and fathers and professionals and maybe entrepreneurs or what have you. The hardest part about that is going to be looking inward, looking in the mirror and being honest about what so that you can begin to address those things and shore up those deficiencies in your foundation. It hasn't happened to me, thank God, but I've heard this enough times to believe it. You think it's bad now, it can always be worse. Whatever you're going through, it can always be worse. And when it does get worse, and you listen to a guy like Jordan Peterson, he says when, not if. When it gets worse, the extent to which you have shored up your foundation will determine how much suffering you endure. It reminds me, this analogy of falling through the floor, if you will, is such a good analogy because it's like you fall through and you think you're at rock bottom and then you just realize, no, you're just here and there's more floors to fall. I really enjoy this analogy because it shows you that, yeah, there's more room to repair, right? Like all those things are there to repair. So we talked a little bit about fitness. How has that played a role? I always like to just point out the contrast, right? Like the typical thing is having the dad bod, right? It's become a thing. I think even there's like biological reasons I've heard for it, but still it's not healthy. It doesn't look good. It's not good for anything. And so I think if that's like the natural place where people end up, how do you approach physical fitness? And like, how does that play into your role as a father, a husband, a provider, because I feel like it's so easy for guys to go, yeah, but I'm busy or where's the time or they minimize its importance. Is that something you see a lot of guys doing as well? Yes. And I think partly this is not just a thing with dads. This is a thing with people in general. We are more willing to provide advice that we know to be good to other people and less willing to take that advice ourselves. Almost everybody would say, yeah, but you have to take care of you. You have to fill your cup first. And yet, filling our own cup is the first thing we are willing to get rid of when it comes to our own health and well-being. How do I navigate this? So I see this in a lot of different lenses. First of all, I am a father of two boys. And so there's a certain amount of this that is inherited because I had a father who was young when he had me. And so when I was eight, he was in his early 30s and he was in his physical prime. And he is a titan in my memory. And there are fond memories associated with that. And I aspire, for better or for worse, give that same experience to my children. Now, it probably won't be the same because I had my first child at 36. And so I'll be in my 40s by the time they have the opportunity to form those memories. But I believe it's my job to set an example for what doing something for yourself that is healthy can look like. And my children can choose different things to do, but I know, and there's enough research that's coming out, meta-analyses of many long-form studies that show that physical fitness is and should be a mainstay of all mental health programs. And when I say mainstay, like the primary thing before medical intervention is what they're concluding at this point. That's a massive statement. So how do I work that in and knowing that as a professional, I need to do this, and yet as a father with two children and a job and trying to support my wife, how do I make it sustainable? Minimum effective dose. Like my hands down recommendation to any, 
if we're speaking to fathers, minimum effective dose. Imperfect action will always trump perfect inaction. You will never find the perfect program. You will never find the perfect time to start. You will never have the perfect optimized schedule. It doesn't exist. Life is going to life. And life is going to hand you stuff. And your workday is going to hand you stuff. And your kids are sure as hell going to hand you stuff. Doing something is always done consistently, always going to move you further and have a more positive effect than waiting for the right time to do the most perfect thing. Yeah. For me and people who have listened to this show, they're like, we know, Hector, we know. But I started my fitness journey. I got serious about it right around COVID and when the shutdowns happened, lockdowns, everything happened. A, it was because I was five, six months after my last kid being born. So I was finally like, okay, this is time. It started to settle down. We had more time to do it. At first, I was doing it because of the physical part of it, right? I wanted to look better. I wanted to get in shape. I remember I bought this. It was like the Amazon Fitbit thing, whatever they had for a while. And it would take these picture scans of your body. And I remember really caring about my body fat percentage. And fast forward three years later, and I'm not necessarily the lightest I've ever been. My body fat percentage is for sure the lowest I've ever been, but I don't even care about it anymore. Of course, I find myself in total vain honesty, like pulling up my shirt often enough to see if there's any new creases. For sure, I'm I'm vain in that regard because I want to see progress, but I don't do it anymore because of the physical part. I do it mostly because I know that if I don't, my emotional capacity is not going to be there. I'm going to be shorter. I'm going to be more tired. My fuse is just so much shorter. And also, I think maybe even my like self-worth and my confidence and my, like all of that stuff is less when I don't work out. And I know if I just work out, even like you said, for a minimum effective dose for 20 minutes, I do a 20 minute hit routine. If I just do that, it checks all of those boxes and everything else seems to get a lot easier. I agree entirely. And yet over and over again, I experience it. I see it in other people. I see it in my clients. I see it in my friends, my family members. It's so easy to say, I don't have the time. And are you familiar with Parkinson's law? Yes. Okay. So it works the same way with fitness. If I got nine hours in my day, because in the morning I'm with my kids, our nanny shows up or they go off and do something. And then at the end of the day, I'm there to support my family. So I got nine hours. Parkinson's law is going to tell me that whatever tasks I have are going to fill that nine hours. I'm going to find a way to do that. If it's always going to be full and I never create time for myself, I'm never going to have the time. It's that line from the matrix. How can we ever have time if we never take time? So I take half hour on the front end, half hour on the back end, maybe an hour on the front end. I lop it off and I take it for myself. I have to do that. And it's hard. It feels selfish. I have also had my wife come to me and say, I need you to go. I need you to go in the garage and do a workout. Because when I do that and I come out and I'm selfish for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, the version of myself that I bring to my wife and the version that I bring to my kids is a higher quality version. And to my wife, and I trust her when she says this, it is worth losing my presence and her having to wrangle a toddler and a baby for 40 minutes or an hour so that when I come back, I can actually help rather than bringing low-level passive aggressiveness or sarcasm or being distracted or some other detrimental character trait, which I possess all of, instead of bringing that to the party. Yeah. I also think it's helpful to have your kids see you do it. You know, when you talk about your dad, I remember going with my dad to him playing basketball games and him playing pickup, whatever. I remember there was one time he broke his finger and it was pretty dramatic. <laughs> I think I'm like six and they're like, are you Hector's son? I'm like, yeah. They're like, uh, come with me. And like, his finger is lopped off. Like, I don't know how, but we had to carry his finger like with us to, to the hospital. 
I can imagine that would be a formative experience. It was very formative. But what I do remember is that was a part of it. And I still am trying to, you know, bring that to my kids. I don't play basketball. My five, six frame does not encourage that. But I do to work out with them and in front of them. And even though they tend to get in the way sometimes or tend to ask questions right in the middle of a set, I know that them seeing me do that is having an impact on them. Even if I don't see it today, I know that seed being planted and it being like a regular thing that we work out, we're in shape. Another thing that I'm realizing came to me is for the longest time, I thought because my dad, he never lifted weights or I think a lot of people from that generation didn't, most of them didn't lift weights like a lot of people our age do or it wasn't as common. And so I always thought, oh, we don't have a chest. Like we don't have the genetics of a chest. Like we just have man boobs or nothing like, or this is what we look like. This is what the Santi Esteban's, they've got man boobs. And I remember having to fight that identity as I'm working out and starting to go like hearing myself like, oh no, don't do bench press because like I'm fighting these internal identities. And not that I have Arnold Pecks before, but there was a moment where my wife was like, there's something, it was this breaking of an identity, which is I think what you're really talking about when people say, I don't have time. It's, they don't consider themselves yet as the people who work out, or they don't consider them, like they don't see that in their own mind. Because if they did, they would use that 30 minutes in between the time that they got to go. And instead of sitting on the couch or scrolling through Netflix, they'd go, I've got 30 minutes. Here's my time to get my workout in, which is what I find myself doing more and more where it's like, I could see where previously I would have used that as an excuse to say, I don't have time where now it's okay. This is the only time I have. It's funny, you know, to your point about your kids seeing you do it, this is what we do. We have a saying, one of the organizations I work with, people like us do things like this. And from a culture standpoint, culture as an entrepreneur or a business owner, if you have a team that works with you, culture is what you decide. Culture is what you reinforce continually through consistent action, right? Culture doesn't happen by accident. And like in the gym space, we say very often that you either create or allow everything that happens in your gym. And that's good and bad. And it's the same thing with my kids. They know daddy's in the garage. My son will hear weights drop. I got bumper plates for my weight set and I'll drop barbells and they'll heal here and bounce. And they'll say, daddy, work out. And he wants to come into the garage. He wants to see daddy do a workout. And I don't care if I'm in the middle of a set. I don't care if I'm in the middle of like a Metcon or a workout. I will stop and encourage him to come in and he can walk around and do things. And my wife will, or the nanny will typically bring him in and do a little bit and then he'll go back out and I might have five extra minutes of rest or whatever. It doesn't matter. I want him to know that he can join me if he chooses anytime when I'm doing this. It's not exclusionary. It's inclusionary. And when and if he's so inclined, I got a PVC pipe and I'm ready to teach him how to deadlift. You know what I mean? You've got a killer set up and go check out Sam's Instagram if you want to check out his his garage rack setup. It's something I aspire to. Because I also think that there's something that happens when people place all these constraints around here's what a workout needs to look like or what it needs to be. They think that if if I don't do it like this, then it's not going to work. And so we might as well not do it. I learned that I don't like going to a gym or I've worked best when I'm able to get my workout in, have the inspiration and be in a total sweat. I love my whoop, right? An intensity score over 10, like 28 minutes later, sometimes even less. I know that I can get it in, get it done. I'm a big proponent of kettlebells. It's not going to make you look like Arnold, but I can't tell you how flexible and and just overall body strength you can get with just Mm -hmm. one kettlebell. So all that to say, like, I guess I'd love to get your thoughts on fitting fitness into 
a busy schedule or a hectic schedule or a kid field mm. schedule or traveling or things like that? Or do you have favorite ways to work things into someone's life when things may not be like ideal or they're just not sitting around with a gym membership at their disposal? Yes. This is a really broad topic. There's a lot of ways to do this right and very few ways to screw it up. To be clear, the ways you can screw it up are doing too much too quickly, going too heavy, be a responsible young athlete, like listen to your body. As a coach, I like to tell people I'm okay with discomfort. I'm not okay with pain. And you know the difference for your body. So if your body says something hurts, stop doing it. So that as a caveat heading into this, one of my favorite ways to do stuff is a phone booth workout. And buddy of mine, we were coaching at a CrossFit affiliate in Massachusetts during the lockdowns. And when nobody could go in, we did a lot of stuff over Zoom. And so he wrote a lot of what he called phone booth workouts. You sketch out a spot on the floor the size of a phone booth. That's as much space as you need to be able to do any number of things to get yourself fit. And you can do alternating Tabatas. You can do chippers where you pick five movements, high volume movements, and move down to more difficult lower volume movements. You can just do circuits of things, any number of ways. None of this requires information, uh, pardon me, requires equipment. You can push ups, sit ups, squats, lunges, burpees with and without a full push up. You can do sprawls. You can do jumping jacks. You can do, I'm trying to think of like literally anything. You can do static holds, side planks, front planks, rear planks, any number of those things. Time under tension with just your body weight, it's a tremendous way to get something in. And if you disagree with me, I'd like to issue a small challenge, right? So you're away, you're in your bedroom, you're in a, a hotel room, it doesn't matter where. 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, to bottom interval, right? Bottom to bottom squats. So you start in the bottom of an air squat, and that's where you rest. And during your work intervals, you're up and down, pistoning, doing your air squats. And during your rest, you sit in the bottom of an air squat. And 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, four minutes. That's it. Marvelous, marvelously effective in terms of generating a stimulus of some kind. You can do the same thing with a sit-up. You can do the same thing with a push-up, same thing with a lunge, any number of things. If you add simple pieces of equipment, I love that you mentioned a kettlebell, you can get really fit with one piece of equipment. And you don't have to go crazy. It doesn't have to be absurdly heavy. You can do a dumbbell a kettlebell. If you've got two, it just literally multiplies the number of variations and permutations and options that you have. As you were talking about those body weight kind of things, you mentioned having to fix these movement modalities as you move up. So for someone who's like a guy and you I lifted in high school, I'm just going to jump in and I'm going to do bench press and I'm going to hit the squat rack. For sure, I would not discourage that. But is there value in someone who's going, let me take a holistic approach if I'm building my foundation from the, the bottom up. If they're not coming out with that mindset, they might look at these kinds of uh, phone booth exercises and go, yeah, but that's weak shit. That's for pussies. Wherein there actually might be some value or there probably is some value in making them stronger in the long term. Is there something there or not? Absolutely. And I can do so mathematically. I'm a CrossFit coach, largely. And one of the things I love about CrossFit is they're able to quantify fitness, right? Your body, center of mass, moves a given distance in an air squat, for example. You weigh X amount of weight. So now I have distance and force or load. I do X number of squats in a given period of time. And now I've got force times distance over time. I've got a power equation, right? If for that individual who says, I lift heavy things, I'm not going to do those bodyweight exercises, that's weak shit. My answer is just go faster. 
If you think it's weak shit, go as fast as humanly possible. Go until your movement quality breaks down because fortunately you're at body weight. The risk is relatively low. Go until you can't breathe. Go until your lungs want to hop out of your throat. Tell me it feels like weak shit then. And then likely what you will experience is this crazy concept called intensity. And it's a good coach is always going to point you towards intensity appropriate for the human and for the task at hand on the day. A good coach is always going to point you toward intensity. In terms of building up body weight capacity, I have that athlete who they just want to go and they want to bench heavy. First thing I want to know is, it's beautiful. I love that. Can you hold a two-minute stable front plank? Before you get under a bench, before you get under a barbell and you try to push 315, I want to know if you can hold your body in a static position for two minutes. And if you can't, then there is something to be gained there. Right? Anytime there is room to grow in terms of body weight, strength capacity. And that's all gymnastics is, moving your own body through space. Anytime there is room to grow there, the growth and the stimulus that you elicit there will only serve to make you stronger when you get under a bar, get under a pair of dumbbells, get under a kettlebell, anything like that. Neglecting foundational bodyweight exercises, your ability to hold a position or move your body through a full range of motion is hindering whatever you want to do with an external load, for sure. What's the physiological or the, I don't know what the word is, anatomical reason for that? Think of it this way. So a lot of it is neurological, right? When you do gymnastics, and gymnastics is a very broad term. Gymnastics, all, all we mean is bodyweight exercises. So push-ups, dips, squats, sit-ups, all that stuff, but also more complicated gymnastics. Anything with rings, anything with a high bar, inversions of any kind. What we get when we do gymnastics is a very special kind of neurological adaptation. We get increased coordination, balance, agility, accuracy. These are things that they don't happen with non-skill-based things. For example, if I was going to put you on a bike, like an assault bike or an echo bike, a fan bike of some kind, and you got tremendously aerobically fit on that bike, you might even garner some strength adaptation. The likelihood that you get some neurological adaptation, the likelihood that spending intervals on the bike is going to increase your balance is pretty low. So gymnastics is uniquely suited to shoring up the cognitive half of the equation. The shoring up of the cognitive half is not going to be to your detriment when now you add an external load. If you're an incredibly capable and fit human being at body weight, you have a greater chance of one, greater intensity vis-a-vis loading when you do add an external load, but also two, staying injury-free because you understand how to move your body through space. And so it is less complicated when you add an external load that you are also moving through space in conjunction with your body. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's just good for guys because so many guys that I know came up around, we came of age like in the late 90s, 2000s, and, and the weight rooms around there were, I don't know. I remember walking into football practice and I'd have this program for me of three by this and three by this and three. Yeah, and linear progression. And the challenge was, is there was almost no emphasis on any of this body weight stuff. There was no emphasis on movement, functional movement. I thankfully fell in love for some strange reason with hang cleans. I don't know why, but I think it was because I saw the functional practicality. I was a running back and I guess you'd call me a linebacker in college, but only because I wasn't fast enough to be anything else or not in college in high school, which didn't make it to the college part. That was a Freudian slip there. But I think I saw the 
inherent benefit of something like that, where you are using your full body to move this weight. And I think that if guys can carry that sort of thing where it's not just about how much can you get on the bar. That was such of the focus, especially if this kind of linear progression thing was like, how do we get more on the bar, even if at the expense of form or technique or pain or whatever. And I don't know that a lot of guys have found a new kind of operating system to put on top of that. Yeah. I think we have that. How do I want to say it? We have that obsession, let's say, with the weight on the bar for a handful of reasons. The first is for those of us who did grow up in high school and with that weight room experience, I'm going to make a broad statement. I hope I don't ruffle a lot of feathers. The likelihood that you had a strength and conditioning coach who understood technique is very low. It does the likelihood that you had a person who understood hand cleans, for example, Olympic weightlifting, who understood the mechanisms at play and actually could coach a human being as they move their body through space with the right cues and corrections to get that body to do the thing that you want it to do in the most effective and safe way possible is very low. It is even still not that high when it comes to things like the squat, the bench press, the the deadlift. These are classic powerlifting movements, and yet I have lost track of the number of times I've seen, especially adolescent males, oh yeah, I lift with my coach in such and such a team, and I watch them do a deadlift, and there's zero midline stabilization, backgrounded over like a dog taking a poop. And we've got to slow them down and back them up and reteach those fundamental positions. That's part of why it's hard to see the value in more technique-oriented things is because we were never taught technique. The other part is, and this is a general statement for humans, if I put one more pound on the bar today than I did yesterday, that's a very easy way to quantify not only my progress, but vis-a-vis that and external validation, my worth as a human being. If I lift more, I'm a better human. And sometimes that bleeds over Wait, into- Sam, you're I, telling me that's not true? Yeah. I know, shocking concept. Turns out your ability to, to add plates to a bar is independent of your value as a human. But I see this over and over again. We have a joke in the CrossFit world where everybody comes in, we learn nutrition and how to do a lot of burpees, and then people start talking about gymnastics and everyone says, nope, screw that, and they hop right over to weightlifting because they can set their phone up, they can they film every clean and every snatch and every deadlift they ever do, and eventually they reach some kind of ceiling. And they've got to go back and they've got to address their fundamental body weight movement. And that's a very unsexy and unsatisfying thing to do because it's the progress is not as clear. It's not as easy to quantify. And yet it's so incredibly important. I've never seen a person get weaker for learning to do that very slow, unsexy work and get stronger at body weight first. Do you, is there a difference? And I think also maybe this is part of the operating system, is that getting stronger, does that always mean that your muscles are going to look bigger? No, those are two different things. So talk about that, because I think that, at least as I'm articulating, thinking in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, more weight, bigger muscles. So if I'm not getting bigger muscle, I think that there's that disconnect or there's some dissonance there because they don't, they're not the same. You got to define terms, right? What is power? what is strength and does or does not muscle size factor into those things. Strength, let's say, is your ability to contract your muscles in such a manner as to move a given load a given distance. Speed is your ability to do so accurately with no rest in between and very fast. Power is your ability to move maximal load at maximal speed, right? Muscle size, hypertrophy, 
is totally different. I can artificially inflate my muscles simply by controlling load and doing a fixed number of sets and reps of a movement. And none of that means I actually increase my top end strength capability. I think this is like mind boggling for some people though. Like I think this is like earth shattering. So keep going though. So let's take a bicep curl, which is not necessarily the most functional move, but it's a great example for this, right? If I take my whatever load, let's call it 100 pounds. I cannot curl 100 pounds. Let's say I can curl 100 pounds. I can do 100 pounds for a single repetition, full range of motion from lock that elbow to bicep touching the shoulder return to lock that elbow. If I wanted to increase the amount of weight that I could move through that range of motion, we know linear progression is a logical and scientifically proven way to do that. So it would be smart to back off to 80% of that load, 80 pounds, and do five sets of five reps. And then the next week, 82 and a half, the next week, 85, next week, 87 and a half, and then 90. And what you're doing is progressively overloading the capability of the muscle the tendons, the joint, so that it all can collaboratively work together along with the neurological component to move that load that distance. And then at the end of whatever your cycle looks like, you should be able to move 105 pounds. That's strength. And a great example of this is if you watch the Olympics, Olympic weightlifters, men and women who are cleaning to the shoulder 300 plus pounds. And if you looked at them, you would say to yourself, really? Like they don't, present as opposed to Seabum, who just won his fifth or sixth Mr. Olympia, they are not as big as he is. And yet they can clean 300 plus pounds to the shoulder and then press it overhead or snatch 300 pounds into the overhead position in one movement. Whereas muscle hypertrophy, if I wanted to really blow up my bicep, what I would do is I'd take 50% of that, 50 pounds, and I'd rep 12 to 15 repetitions, multiple sets artificially inflate that muscle and done progressively and over time by deliberately shoving blood and lactic acid into that muscle over and over again, I can pull that particular lever. I'm not necessarily getting stronger. It's just the effect that a given load at a given set and rep has on the muscle group. Different goals. Yes. So generally, is it as simple as saying if you want to go for hypertrophy and you want to go for muscle growth, lower weight, higher reps, and if you want to get stronger, lower reps, higher weight, is that too simple? It's not too simple. I believe in a balanced approach. I think that it can be too simple in practice because if I say higher weight and lower reps, that can be taken to an extreme where an individual will just lift the heaviest weight possible as opposed to there's value in doing seven sets of three or seven sets of five and building some muscle endurance along with that top end strength, right? And you'll get a little bit of a pump on while you do that, but you're also significantly moving the needle in a broader capacity on your top end strength capability. I think that by and large, it's accurate. I think that in practice, this is where having a coach can be very helpful because for your experience level with the movement, for your training age, how long you've been doing training specific to whatever your goal is, they can start to guide you and say, yeah, lighter weights, lighter weights, higher reps. But for you, that means X. And instead of fumbling through the dark or trying to figure it out as you go, they can shortcut that process. Definitely good to have someone who knows what they're talking about. We haven't talked a whole lot about nutrition. Uh Is that something that is on your radar a lot? Or how does that tend to factor into not only like the physical part of fitness, but the mental and emotional fitness that kind of comes along with it? Yeah. As a coach and trainer, it's on my mind as a 
what I would consider an amateur athlete, someone who is trying to stay as fit as possible with the amount of time that I have at my disposal. It's on my mind as a father and a husband and the example that I set for my children and in what we eat. People like us do things like this. The I don't think anybody would be shocked to hear that as a general consensus, we want you to eat largely unprocessed foods. The benefits to not eating artificially created, hyperpalatable, dense carbohydrate and fat-loaded foods should be relatively apparent. And if they're not, it's just extremely easy to overindulge with foods that are genetically engineered to be delicious because a company wants you to buy more of their product. I'm not poo-pooing capitalism in any way, shape, or form, but to be sure, they want you to buy that thing. And they're not 100% concerned about what the downstream effects of it are. There are a bunch of ways to do that and keep it simple. Michael Pollan, in his book, In Defense of Food, keeps it to seven words. Eat real food, not too much, mostly plants. And like those three phrases can put you in the right direction. If you're wondering what real food is, it either walked on the ground or grew on the ground. One or the other. If it has a nutrition facts label, chances are it's not a real food. Ironic. Ironic. Fascinating, much-needed conversation. Sam, these comedy they always go exactly where they're supposed to go. So I'm excited for the guys to hear this. If they want to get more connected with you and your world, where's the best place to do that? Two places. On Instagram, I'm at Coach Sam Burns. And I run a small personal training business where we try to provide value to people, not necessarily per through personal training, but also through blog articles. The company is called Motivateful. And the uh, website is www.getmotivateful.com. It's like motivate and grateful had a baby. I love it. We'll link all that up in the show notes here. And uh, last question for you, Sam. In your opinion, what does modern masculinity mean to you? Balance. Modern masculinity to me is bringing forth the best of what we might traditionally know as masculine and not sacrificing that while we remain open to something that we might learn that makes that better and deeper and richer. And that's going to be a balancing act for anyone who tries to do it, I believe. Yeah. Well, if there's anything that we've learned here, it's not just one thing. Or just that's, one thing. That's for sure. Fellas, we appreciate you being here and, and sticking with us. We would love a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And it's especially if you're listening on Spotify or you have Spotify downloaded on your app, on your phone, if you could hop over to the Modern Masculinity Show and at the top, there's a, like a, a stars. If you could give us as, as many as you think that we're worth, but we'd really appreciate that there. If, if you know a guy who is on their fitness journey, thinking about starting one, or maybe he just they need a kind of little kick or a shove or push in the right direction, send in this episode and let's see if we can grow the tribe together. And as always, we appreciate you being a part of this tribe and this family. We'll see you on the next one. Later, fellas.